the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Oh, that was a great time of worship, wasn't it? Thank you so much for leading us. Should we, should we give a thanks to the team here? I know they... Amazing. Really beautiful. And I know you put a lot of effort into getting it, so it seems like it's effortless, which is beautiful. So thank you. Um, good. Well, this morning, as I say, I'm going to slip out a little bit early, but I want to leave you with uh, the word hope, um, which is what we're going to look at. So you turn to Romans 5. Uh, we'll see where this fits in there, but then I'm going to sort of range around a bit more widely uh, on the theme of hope, sort of, sort of camping out in Romans 5 initially. Um, before we dive into that, has anyone dived into the sea this morning? Um, has anyone been in the sea this morning? No. All right. Who was the last person? I've got one, one copy of my book of Romans that I don't want to take home with me. Who was the last person to go in the sea without a wetsuit on yesterday? Any, anyone do that yesterday? You did. It's all yours. Give a round of applause. You, you, never know, you never know what you're going to get out of it. Well done. Yeah, well done. Love that. All right. Um, you could at least sell it on eBay if you don't want it. I mean, uh, we'll give it away. Um, great. So we're, we're looking at this phrase. This is what I wanted to really land on. Romans 5 verse 2. We looked at how secure we can be in God's love. But I wanted to land on this idea of, uh, that Paul then says, out of that security that we have, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And um, remember that I pointed out, I think on the first evening that we were here, Friday, um, remember I pointed out that when we were down in the valley of sin, Romans 3.23 told us quite the opposite, didn't it? What does Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then, you know, by the time you get to Romans 5, we're told now we're boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Paul will never talk about boasting in himself or what he has done, but he likes to use that almost deliberately, I think, as provocative language about how confident we can be in what we are now promised. And then by the time you get to the summit of Romans 8, it's as if Paul sort of looks forward, as we'll see, to the far horizon of God's incredible plan for planet Earth and for us, and he shows us a little glimpse of the, what, what he means by the glory of God, the new creation, the new hope that lies ahead of those who have belonged to Jesus Christ. So this is where I wanted to really finish on, is that sense that hope, hope is such a powerful thing, isn't it? You know, if you live with hope, you can, you can endure the worst of adversity. And if you don't have hope, you're almost a dead person walking. Like hope is like blood in the system, isn't it? It's a life source for the soul. And um, hope is incredibly powerful. The more full of hope we are, and not a, not a wishful thinking kind of hope. You know, so often when we use the word hope in colloquial English, it actually, we use it to qualify the idea that we're very uncertain about something. We hope, I hope it doesn't rain today. You know, or... I hope I get a pay rise or whatever it may be. It's almost like the word hope is deliberately put in there to say this, this really is very uncertain. <laughs> or, you know, Charlotte might say, I hope Andrew remembers to put the bins out. And it's like, unlikely. Um, <laughs> so so in, our, in our sort of English colloquial use of the word hope, it's almost like unlikely things that could possibly happen. But when we encounter the word hope in the Bible, it's the absolute opposite. It's this sort of boastful confidence 
spiritually speaking, in what God has secured for us. And when you get that kind of hope, I mean, I, I like to, um, I think one of the ways I, I try to sort of write a little definition of it, and I was thinking of, you know, that hope is, is hope is, well, how did I put it? Hope is um, the confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain we can live for it now. That was what I came up with as a definition of how Christian hope works. It's the confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain we can actually begin to live for it now. That's Christian hope. Okay, it's not wishful thinking, and um, and and it's powerful. You know, it's powerful when you put before someone something to live into that's waiting for them, that is ahead of them. It gives them the ability, as I said, to endure all kinds of adversity on the way. I say this uh, with a smile because I remember one time as a family, we tried to take our children up Snowdon. Some of you, have you been up Snowdon? Many of you, I'm sure, have been up Snowdon. Hopefully not on the, on the train because uh, we, we, we couldn't afford that. So it was a scorching hot August day. So the weather was lovely but hot and we tried to sort of walk our children up the, the mountain, which would have been great except that this time they were sort of six, four and two. You know? So the two-year-old was on my shoulders or on the, on the carry back and the four-year-old and the six-year-old were walking. And we got about halfway up, and there's, a, there's, sort of, there's a, literally a place halfway up Snowden on the, on the boring route up the back called Halfway House, I think. We got to Halfway House, and they were like, they were done. And you know when you're sort of trying to negotiate, renegotiate a peace treaty with the kids, you know, you sort of... And I said to them, okay, well, look, before we... We will let you decide whether you want to go back or not, but before we... Before you make that decision, we're just going to go to the, the next horizon, the sort of near horizon, which is about five or ten minutes away. When we get there, you can decide what we're going to do. Right? So that, that was enough of a deal to get them to there. When we got there, I kind of knew this. From there, you, begin the, you, you see the summit for the first time. It's like you get over the small horizon, and suddenly there's the big horizon of the summit. And so I turned to the kids, and I said, now look, that's the summit where I'd like us to go. And you see that little building just to the side of the summit? And they were like, yeah, we can see that. I said, that is a cafe. Um, with an enormous ice cream for each of you. And that's where the train is waiting to take you back down the mountain. What do you want to do? Now, hope is powerful, right? It puts, it puts something glorious on the far horizon. And it's amazing. Hope can get a four-year-old to walk up Snowden. That's what they did. That's what they did. Unfortunately, when we got there, it was so busy that we couldn't even get into the cafe... They'd sold out of ice creams, and the train was fully booked for the rest of the day uh, back down the mountain, <laughs> which gave us as parents a fantastic opportunity to teach our children that all hopes in this life ultimately uh, will, will disappoint as they stomped back down the mountain, uh, furious. They've not forgiven us. They've not forgiven us for that. Uh, but anyway, leave, the, leave, the sort of, leave that aside. <laughs> Um, in, in your case, that the ice cream's definitely there. Um, and, and I, what I <laughs> so what I imagine hope as, you know, if you were to draw it in that sense, is like here's us in 2024, right? Here's that. That's the sort of near horizon of life, life in this uncertain world. And and frankly, as we look forwards into 2024, we probably have some plans and ambitions, but who knows what will happen for us personally? For uh, our human race globally, with some of the challenges that we face, there is a big question mark. Uh, even if you're the great Apostle Paul, you don't know what will happen. Even if you've got your plans, you might get shipwrecked in a snake bite and all the things we saw yesterday, right? So there is a lot of uncertainty. Hope isn't pretending that that's not the case. But what hope is saying is beyond all of that is that far horizon. 
that summit of hope, if you like. And this is where our ultimate hope is secured. And when we grasp what is waiting for us on the far horizon, that's when it's almost like that hope sort of shines back to us on the near horizon and gives us the resources we need to live bold, courageous lives through all of the uncertainties, knowing that beyond the uncertainties, we have a sure and certain hope. So this is how I think Christian hope works, and that's what I wanted to unpack with you. Firstly, by thinking about, so, that, so if we're sort of, what we're going to do, and I think it's the way Christian hope works, is we're going to start here, that's number one, the ultimate hope, and then we're going to come back here and think, so how does that ultimate hope inform us on the near horizon, life in the real world that we're going back to today, okay? Well, the far horizon, I wanted to read some words from Romans 8. So we're, we're sort of jumping 5 to 8 now, because in Romans 8, Paul, as I say, from the summit, he gives this glimpse of what lies ahead. And he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just pause there for a moment, because this word glory is quite important just to say a couple of things about, because... I think um, in Latin, the word is gloria, and the Romans were <clears throat> absolutely committed to a sort of gloria kind of understanding of glory, which is about victory, about demonstrating that you can crush your enemies, you can build the great city of Rome, you can establish yourselves in the world. Gloria, that kind of glory, is a lot of pride and power and assertion. Okay? But Paul is not ultimately, in that sense, a Roman. Paul is a Jew. And uh, the Jewish or the Hebrew word for glory is chabod, which, which actually means um, something like weight, weighty, or, but also it has connotations of beauty. And, and so when Paul uses the word glory, he's not thinking like a Roman about just, you know, glory, glory, man united, kind of, you know, victory and conquest. He's thinking as a, an Old Testament Hebrew that there is something weighty and beautiful about the future that God has for this planet and for our lives. And this is where, in the next paragraph, he describes it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. These are a few highlights from a longer reading, but the thing I wanted you to notice is that the hope that we have ahead of us is as vast as the whole of creation, and it's as personal as our physical bodies. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The glory, the chabod, the weightiness of the promise is that this physical material world both beautiful, as we can see out the window, and broken. This material world, beautiful and yet so broken, so affected by the way that we humans have failed to live the life that God called us to and to steward the world in the way that we've been commanded. This world is actually part of the ultimate goal of God's plan of salvation. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose again on Easter Sunday, it wasn't just to save souls, it was to redeem the whole of creation. The gospel in that respect is much 
bigger and smaller than we dare to imagine. It goes right down to the details of our little lives and it escalates right through to the whole of creation. Isn't that extraordinary? There is a hope for this planet. There is a hope that regardless of, regardless of the pains of childbirth that we see and experience more and more today, regardless of what human beings may forecast based on a kind of non-involvement of God, the gospel says that actually just as our lives are hopeless apart from the intervention of God, so this planet may be hopeless apart from the intervention of God. But God has intervened on behalf of not just human beings, but the material fabric of the world as well. That's his job. You know, his job ultimately will be to make a new creation. And he has, he has registered, he has declared his intentions by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the start of new creation. Now there is a physical human being who has broken through death and reigns forever on the other side as a physical human being. You could put your hands into his wounds, yet glorified now. The resurrection of Jesus is our new creation hope. So the new creation is not something purely future. He's already started it. And if anyone is in Christ, they are new creations. Yeah. So it's begun in us, at least in the spiritual sense, of the old has gone and a new life has come. But notice Paul is saying, but one day we're still groaning inwardly, <laughs> perhaps groaning outwardly, um, you know, in terms of our physical condition. Groaning inwardly, groaning outwardly, because we're still waiting for the redemption of our bodies. In other words, the Spirit has birthed in us new creation life, spiritually, and that life one day... Beyond this life, on the far horizon, that life is going to infuse itself through all of our material being. So that body and soul, we will be resurrected and glorified like Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but even on my best days, that's a pretty good hope to have. But sometimes you're, you're not living your best days. And sometimes it's easy to almost assume that your best days lie behind you. And live even with a bit of nostalgia. I mean, some of us may be in peak physical fitness. Well, even if you are, can I say, you're nothing compared to what you will be. I mean, I love the, the if you want to read into this, C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce has this beautiful sort of imaginary world where some, one of us, us sort of earthly creatures, goes and visits the new creation where... Everything is weighty, the weight of glory. This is, this is his idea of picking up on Chabod. It's about weightiness. It's more solid and real than anything we see around us. We are the real ghosts compared to the physical hope that we have ahead of us. And in this new creation, one of us who's being shown round, Lewis has this beautiful idea that we reach down because the, the, the flowers are so beautiful, like cut diamond, and we go down and we can't even pluck a daisy. It's so solid. <laughs> we can't even lift a leaf in the real world. It's so much more physical and real. So whatever state physically you're in today, you couldn't lift up a you couldn't pick up a leaf in the world to come. Doesn't matter how much you can bench press in the gym. You're you're not impressive compared to how you were meant to be. So don't don't put your pride in your physique. But on the flip side, if our bodies are struggling and if we face both frailty and maybe even illness and serious illness, I want to encourage us, your best days do not lie behind you. Your best days lie ahead of you. Amen? You're, you are not a shadow of your former self. 
You are merely a shadow of your future self, what you will be when this hope is realized in your physical body. And that means that this life is not all we've got, contrary to what you've been told by relentless advertising and media campaigns that cause this angst and FOMO, fear of missing out, and this continual quest for the experience that seems to elude us of fulfilling life. Well, listen, if you pursue that in this life, you will forever run yourself ragged trying to have what ultimately will always elude you. But that is not the truth. The truth is that this life is not all we've got. Even if we don't realize everything in our bucket list in this life, you know, we have a hope that nothing can take away. And in fact, it slightly rearranges. When you start to, and this is where we'll come to, but when you start to think through this hope, it slightly rearranges the whole idea that life is about just trying to eke out as much pleasure for myself as I possibly can before I die. That's actually quite a hopeless way of living, wouldn't you agree? We have a bigger reason for living than just eking out as much pleasure as I can for myself before I die. We have a hope on the far horizon that nothing can take away. The hope of one day not only being with Jesus. And again, this is one of those scriptures where you think, is this definitely okay to say? (laughs) But when we see him, we will be like him. Our hope is not just that we will be with Jesus. But in some mysterious way, what theologians call the beatific vision, the vision of beauty that we will have when we behold Jesus is a transformative vision. When we see him, that vision will actually cause metamorphosis in us and we will be transformed into his likeness. His glory will be ours. His resurrection body will be gifted to us. His eternal life lived out in us. We are going to glory And Jesus Christ has already secured it on the far horizon. This is why I say hope is not just a a sort of wishful thing. In the Bible, hope is Jesus already there in his resurrected body, calling us and bringing us up to him. To use a a mountaineering example, um, I I like this sort of picture of, uh, and and a quote from Hebrews, he is bringing many sons to glory. Notice the idea there that there's this anchor point you know, bolted to the rock. There's this person who's the lead climber who's already made it to the top, and now they're bringing up their fellow climbers to where they are. This is how hope works. Jesus Christ is our anchor. He's already made it into the glory of God, and now we're roped to him by the Spirit, and he is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So when you feel your own fragility and the uncertainties of life. May you also feel the tug of the rope around your waist. You are not alone. You are roped to Jesus. He is now securing your destiny and he's going to bring you to where he is. And in um, climbing terms, there's a beautiful moment where you faced the challenge of the, the cliff face or the mountain, whatever it is. And then when you come over, it's called topping out. So it's when you sort of come over and suddenly you see the one who's been bringing you up and suddenly you climb over into that new reality, that new horizon. Look, I know it may, it may take a bit of imagination, but can you, can you dare to imagine the moment fairly soon in the grand sweep of history when we will top out into glory? I mean, I'm not, I'm not just sort of telling some fictional tale here. He's already there. And he's bringing us to where he is. And one day, we're going to see him. 
Today we believe in him by faith, but one day we're actually going to see Jesus Christ. And when we see him, we're going to become like him. That is our sure and certain hope. Now, forget ice creams on the summit of Snowden, right? This hope, when it gets inside you, when you actually have that anticipation building, as the scriptures in Romans 8 say, when you're groaning with anticipation for what lies ahead, it puts the fuel in our system for what we requ- what's required of us in the meantime. Hope, then, is not just pie in the sky or wishful thinking. It's this powerful force that draws us into the future that God has for us with boldness and with confidence. I like the way uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts this, who was martyred for his faith by the Nazis. He says, the difference between the Christian hope of resurrection and a mythical hope is that the Christian hope sends a man back to his life on earth in a wholly new way. And my hope for us as we finish this weekend was to send, send us back, myself included, back to the life that we are familiar with, but with a fresh perspective. We are part of God's future glorious plan, along with the whole of creation that will be renewed. And what is it now then? What, what is required of us now if we are to live on the near horizon? So just thinking back to what I said earlier, you know, what What kind of lives, if you were really confident in this hope here, what kind of a life would you live on this horizon here? You know, that's the thing to think, isn't it? Work work back from where you're going and think, if that's my future, how do I want to conduct myself in the present? Well, a couple of things, and with this I'll draw us to a close. Here's a couple of scriptures that I think help inform how we live on the near horizon, you know, 2024 and the life ahead of us now. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We've already spoken of that confidence Paul has. Romans 8, knowing all these things. What are these things he's referring to? All sorts of possible things that could go wrong. You know, shipwreck, danger, sword, all of these things. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 3, since we have this hope, We are very bold. When you have this hope of a future glory, it puts boldness and confidence. It it secures us knowing that that rope is around our waist. You know, we may slip, but he will not let us fall. He's going to bring us to glory with him. Securing that hope, I think we could say two things. Firstly, this hope gives us confidence. I just put a couple of sentences here because I like to sort of distill what I'm thinking. So at least you... At least you've got a sort of summary form. And and I was meaning by confidence that hope reassures us that it's going to be okay even when life is scary. So hope doesn't pretend that there aren't very real challenges, but it reassures us that in the end, it's going to be okay, even if there's some scary things to pass through in the meantime. You know, and and I think I think that deep confidence that Christians all down the centuries have had, that in the end, it's going to be okay. I mean, literally, in the end, yeah? It's going to be okay. One, God has already secured the final outcome of this world. In the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, the essential victory has already been won. So the ultimate outcome of good versus evil, of God versus Satan, 
the ultimate outcome of life versus death, of light versus darkness, the ultimate outcome is not in doubt because Jesus is risen. That victory will secure eternity, right? So in the end, it's going to be okay. Now that gives us a confidence in the meantime when it might not be okay. <laughs> Did you see what I'm saying? It says actually, even if I feel like there's loss or pain or suffering now, I'm not trivializing those things at all. Please don't misunderstand me in that way. I'm not in any way belittling how deep some of that may be. But in the end, that will not be the final outcome for my life. My life will not end in misery. It will end in glory with Jesus Christ. So I have a confidence that even when it's scary, I am anchored to him and it's going to be okay. I, uh, I'm not really much of a sailor, to be honest. I, uh, the, sea, the sea is sort of frightens me a bit um, in many ways, which is very biblical. I don't know if you've noticed that the sea will one day disappear. Uh, mountains will remain, but the sea will disappear. And I have this, I have this argument every year because I've got three really good Cornish buddies that I go sailing with, and we have this debate every year about whether it's mountains or the ocean. But anyway, uh, leaving that one aside, one time we sailed um, to the Scilly Isles, which was a very beautiful experience, through the night. And, um, and we moored up and spent the day there on St. Mary's. And then the next day, we sailed around to one of the other islands and sort of anchored off, um, off in one of the bays. Uh, and like I said, I'm just not very experienced at sea. So, and these other guys are. And in the night, quite a sort of storm whipped up through the area. And um, I couldn't sleep. You know, I felt like the boat was rocking. And I knew that there was sort of you know, the bay had cliffs either side, and I was quite anxious. And I remember um, in the end, I woke up the guy, my friend who owns the, the, the yacht, and um, I sort of woke him up and I said, you need to, you know, you know I, think, I, think we're not, I think we're in trouble. And he sort of got up groggy and, uh, you know, kind of did manage to sort of stumble out onto the deck and he just looked around. And then I remember he came back in and he just looked at me and he just said, have you seen the size of our anchor? <laughs> Go back to bed, we're fine. You know, and he just went and fell asleep again. And I just, yeah, I mean, I still struggle to fall asleep again, if I'm very honest. But his point is a good one, isn't it? You know, have you seen the size of our anchor? Do you understand what we're connected to? It's not budging. So have a good night's sleep. Because in the end, it's going to be okay. And I think that's how Christian hope works. You know, I want to say over all of the very real challenges we face as we return home. But have you seen the size of our anchor? We are secured to Jesus Christ. He is not budging. His victory is assured. Have a good night's sleep tonight and live with confidence tomorrow. In the end, our hope secures us. And that's a hope that secures us beyond the uncertainties. You know, whether you get the grades uh, and the results and therefore get the place at college or the job that you need or not, whether you get the relationship that you would love to have or, or not, whether the test results come back and they're malignant or benign. You know, these are big moments in our lives, absolutely. But we have a hope that's bigger than any of those outcomes, do we not? We have something that those outcomes finally will not define for us. We have a hope that is rooted in Jesus Christ, so we can have confidence. I like the way Erwin McManus puts this. Hope lifts us out of the rubble of our failures, our pain and our fear to rise above what at one point seemed insurmountable. Our ability to endure, to persevere, to overcome is fueled by this one seemingly innocuous ingredient called hope. 
At the end of Romans, Paul prays for the Roman Christians, a little prayer, and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, so that as you trust in him, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for his people, overflowing hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. That gives us confidence. And then just finally, that also gives us courage. Not just confidence that we're going to be okay, but a courage to live a bigger, bolder life than just taking care of ourselves. Hope gives us confidence. This is how I'm summarizing this distilled idea. Hope gives us confidence to step out of our comfort zone, even when that's risky. The early Christians, you know, the early Christians, they, they actually believed this stuff. And yet they faced unbelievable persecution. Fed to the lions, you know, Nero had... Christians covered in tar and lit as garden lights at his party. They just burnt them alive. You know, extraordinary things were done. And yet these Christians actually believed this was true. And so instead of fleeing, so many of them actually forgave their enemies, sang hymns as they let the beasts into the amphitheaters, and trusted God. And then the Romans, you know, this is why Christianity spread against all the odds. It spread because the Romans just looked at these Christians and thought, they've really got something. (laughs) This is actually real you know these people are living with a boldness and a courage that even doesn't matter what we do to them and when the plagues came to Alexandria everyone else fled the city because of the plague and it was contagious except for the Christians who went in to care for the sick and dying because they had a hope and they risked their lives because well they're okay God's taking care of us we're 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 anchored to Jesus Christ so we don't have to play it safe and just take care of number 1 we can live a bigger bolder more risky adventurous life than just a fearful safe mode kind of existence and i just think this is what hope says to me and i find this deeply challenging is actually hope says your interests are secured You've got a father in heaven who's going to take care of you. So why not make a difference in this world by doing something that's outside of your comfort zone, that's beyond your resource, that takes you way further than you could go if God wasn't with you? Hope frees us up to say, actually, we're going to make a difference in this world, not just play it safe. Amen? Hope says we're going to make a difference in this world. We're not just going to play it safe. And I I love just in his own little way, I showed you earlier, uh, what, that, that uh, bit of artwork that Paul did, the, the kindness wall, I think he's called it. But I love, you know, he's got plenty of uh, medical conditions at the moment that are pretty serious. He's scared of heights, and it was so freezing cold, the paint nearly froze. But he's just like, he wants to just do something, raised a lot of money, just did something to say, actually, there's hope. Make a difference. Get out of our comfort zone. And I just think that's what I wanted to really stir you up with. I know that that is your heart, speaking to so many of you. I know there's this sort of absolute desire, and many of you are out there doing this and you're in over your heads and God has to come through for it to work. But that's, that's Christianity. The real Christianity that we, we are called to live is not just, as I say, turning up and tithing. It's putting our lives on the line to bring the hope of Jesus into our world. That is what makes life ultimately worth living. And so as we finish, I wanted to really just stir that up in you. I wonder if there's some particular challenge or thing that you're going back to where you just think, actually, I've been in safe mode, risk averse, and instead I want to step out and take on the challenge, but with renewed hope. I want to just pray that over us as we, 
as we wrap up. And in particular, I wanted to pray this, uh, this prayer, which I alluded to earlier. This is the prayer I really wanted to pray over you as a church and individually. And if you would just love to receive this prayer with almost with fresh faith and a fresh ambition to not play it safe, but to make Jesus known. Maybe you'd just like to stand with me as I lead us in a prayer, and I'm just going to pray this over us. So if that's your heart, uh, just stand. Don't feel you have to, but just stand if you just feel, yeah, I, I, I want to be in on living with hope. The far horizon has been secured. It's going to be okay in the end. If it's not okay, then it's not the end. Because <laughs> it's going to be okay in the end. We will be with him in glory. When we see him, we will be like him. That is secure. So in the meantime, Heavenly Father, we don't want to waste our lives just bunkering down and trying to accrue as much stuff for ourselves and playing it safe. Lord, we want to be overflowing with hope to a world that desperately needs to feel it and hear it in real terms. We want to put ourselves on the line like the early Christians did to show the world that this is real and, that, and they can have it too. So I thank you for my brothers and sisters. We're all standing, myself included, we're all standing because we feel at times so weak and fragile. We can become so self-absorbed and our horizons become so small and self-centered. But Lord, we, we pray that you'd release us from that with this message of hope, fueling us to live bigger, bolder lives. And so I pray over you, Belmont Church, and, and all that you represent. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.